So it's January 21st, 2024. We are three weeks into the new year, and I want to check on how your New Year's resolution is doing. Some of you, like me, may not have made a New Year's resolution because it's kind of a constant process. What can I improve? Where do I need to turn around? But for others, that January 1st is important. They set those resolutions, and they're a little shocked when the end of January comes and things are off track. In the 1970s, there was a popular thing put forth that changing behavior just took three weeks, 21 days, maybe 30, and if you do it for that period of time, you'll be home free. Science suggests that that's not correct. It may be correct for some, and if that's the case for you, fantastic. For others, it is daily and monthly and yearly to create a new pattern. You kind of can't give up. You kind of can't rest on your laurels. Every day is a new day to make choices about the way you want to go. That's what science suggests. And so they give four suggestions if you want to make a change. If you want to go in a new direction, here are some things to keep in mind. And some of the popular apps now, like Noom and other things, are tapping into the science of changing behavior. Take small steps. Two, focus on changing one habit at a time. You may not want to give up social media, alcohol, and negative thinking on the same day. <laughs> Write down the habit you want to change and be specific about what the change will look like this week. I'm going to walk 45 minutes three times this week. And four, repeat the desired behavior as often as you can for as long as you can. And if you miss the mark, don't give up. Start again. That's the science of changing behavior. And so all those expectations, those three-week things, let them go, but realize that changing a behavior is hard and it's a lifelong work. Unfortunately, bad behaviors come back super easily. The first letter of Peter puts it well, discipline yourselves, keep alert, like a roaring lion, our adversary the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. It feels that way sometimes. It feels like that lion is just waiting because those things we established early, those patterns we established early, they're right there. They're ready to come back if we're not paying attention. Those in recovery from addiction know what I'm talking about. You know this process of how quickly old patterns can reemerge. What we're really talking about today is going in a new direction. If you want to change course, even just a micro change that will lead you to a significant change over time, or a macro change where you really need to go 180 degrees in a new direction, that's what we're talking about today. Our lessons help us in this process. Mark. It's right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He goes to Peter and Andrew, he goes to James and John, and he basically says, follow me. He also says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe in the good news, but then he says, follow me. They get up, they follow him, and if you were listening to Mark, it's like that's all it took. But we know the Gospels, and we know the Christian story, and we know that Peter and Andrew, James and John, stepped forward towards Jesus, and pulled back, stepped forward towards Jesus and pulled back. Now, they made progress. It wasn't just going in circles. They really did move, 
But if you look at the statements they make, you can see that there's times when they're able to follow unreservedly and then times when they're not so sure. And so if you are sitting here today having times when you have leaned into Jesus big time and other times where you're not so sure, you are a disciple. You are a disciple. And that process of change is small steps, day by day, what are you going to do today to tack in a new direction? Jonah is also about going in a new direction, and I love this book. Jonah is like the worst prophet ever. And so if you're ever looking for encouragement, read Jonah, because in spite of himself, God brings him where he needs to be. Part one. God calls and Jonah runs away. We know the story. He's sailing away on a ship. A storm comes. They're about to be capsized. He says, it's because of me. Throw me into the water. You'll be spared. They do, and they're okay. He gets swallowed up by a large fish, hangs out in the belly for three days, and then gets thrown up on the beach. That's part one. Part two, God is patient. God calls Jonah again. Go to the Ninevites. Give them the word that I am going to give you. Jonah does not want to do this. He does not like Nineveh. He does not like their wicked behavior. They are not of his people. But this time, at least, you know, fake it till you make it, that is totally part two of Jonah. He does not want to help them. He does not want to talk to them. But he says, okay, I will do what God says. And in fact, if you listen to his message, I get the sense that God may have said some merciful, loving things to Nineveh, but in Jonah's mouth, Repent or you're going to be destroyed in 40 days, and he keeps moving. And you get the sense that maybe he left out the good news. But guess what? The Ninevites repented. And in this wonderful story, they don't just repent. They don't just go in a new direction. It is wholesale, 180-degree revolution. The people lead it. They put on sackcloth. They put on ashes. That is that traditional stance of humility, of sorrow, of trying to be right with God. These Gentile people are, in a sense, practicing repentance the way the Israelites are not. The king looks out his window and sees all his people doing this thing, kind of gets on board, joins the people, comes off his throne, takes off his robes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, and makes a decree that everybody should do it. They already are. But he takes it a step further, and this is the humor in the Bible. Everybody should wear sackcloth and ashes, even the animals. That's a little excessive. So all the cows and all the dogs and everybody's wearing sackcloth as they go around. That's meant to be enjoyable for the reader. But you have this sense of they didn't just repent half-heartedly, they went all in. And what did God do? When he saw this new direction, when he saw this change of behavior, what did he do? It says God repented of the evil he was going to do to Nineveh. Now, we like in our Greek understanding to keep God super immutable and God doesn't change. Uh-uh, not in Hebrew scripture. God changed his mind about the thing that he was going to do to Nineveh just as they changed their mind about their wicked ways. It's fantastic. Jonah is angrier than ever. He did not want them saved. So part three, which I won't go into, is basically Jonah being mad at God for showing mercy and God reminding Jonah who's God and who's not. That's it. That's Jonah. I wonder today what you are being called to. Because if you are a disciple of Jesus, and you are, you are being called. 
And I wonder what that will look like for you. Are you being called to follow Jesus, to say yes for the first time, to actually accept the name of disciple? Are you being called to repent from sin, to stop doing a thing that will lead to death and instead choose life? Are you being called to take a risk as a disciple, to move outside of your sphere to invite others in, to share this good news? Everybody's in different places, but I am convinced that each of us is being called individually and that we as a church are being called collectively. And I think you've seen some of the ways recently that we are moving as a church, attempting to discern God's call and some of the changes in our building is part of that. Last Wednesday, the women of St. Michael held one of their regular programs. And as you know, at the beginning of their program, they sometimes bring a grant recipient to come in and to share a word about what their grants, what the financial support has meant for them. This time it was the men of Nehemiah. And you may have heard of them, you may not. If you haven't, find them. These are men caught in the grip of addiction and often homelessness where it looks like the path is about to end. And somehow by a firm loving uncle, by someone in their family, a friend, they get caught up with the men of Nehemiah and their lives are changed. They started with a beautiful song, it was very nice, and then one of the men got up and told his story. He was in the throes of addiction for 20 years, homeless for much of that, he had given up all hope. An uncle pushed him firmly to get help. He found men of Nehemiah, and they have three pillars, military training, Bible study, and clinical help. Military training, Bible study, and clinical help. And for many men, probably not everybody, but for many, that is effective. The discipline, the structure, the study of God's word, and asking for help. In this guy's case, he had been clean and sober for seven years, and now he's a senior staff member at the Men of Nehemiah. And the program ended with the most beautiful version of the Lord's Prayer sung that I've ever heard. It is not just for the Men of Nehemiah, but they came and they told us a story. They reminded us that there is hope for us, that there is a way to go, there is a way to turn, to encounter the living God, and to have one's life changed as a result. Each of you are in a different place here in your journey. Each of you have come to St. Michael at different times, but I promise you, you are being called to go in a new direction, however slight or however major, that choice you make today and tomorrow and the rest of your days to the best of your ability will change the world as we know it. Amen.